This morning, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles again to Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're only covering uh, one verse in particular. It's the most that it, will, that it will ever feel like a topical sermon from this pulpit, but it's still highlighting expositionally what's there. But this verse 5 is where we are in chapter 5, verse 5, and It's from the greatest sermon ever preached from the greatest preacher who ever walked the face of the earth, Jesus Christ. It's the section that we call the Beatitudes, which is the blessing section. Nine blesseds in a row in these 12 verses are listed because Jesus wants us to be filled in joy through the process of self-denial, filled with joy through a, a renunciation of self. We have to get enough of our self out of our system so we can actually focus on the Lord and be filled with blessing, the blessing he wants all of us to have. And we need that these days. I'm king off of, by the way, just to give some credit where credit is due, a great book that I would recommend all of you if you're interested in learning about the Sermon on the Mount. This is by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote a book, a classic work called Studies in the Sermon on the Mount. It's pretty thick and it's filled with his meditations from this section, Matthew 5 to 7. And I'm taking things a little bit more slowly because of these meditations and I'll quote him some in the sermon, but it's good stuff. It's a slower pace because I think we need a slower pace so we can focus on what's really here. Look at verse 5 with me. Let me get this out of the way. All right, verse five says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. A couple questions come to mind immediately when you read a verse like that. It's pretty simple. It says blessed or happy, joy-filled are the meek. Why? Because meek people inherit the earth. There's a promise here. The meek shall inherit the earth. Some people translate earth in a bigger sense than even our planet, but inherit the universe. So a couple questions. One is, what does it mean to be meek? Two, what does it mean to inherit the earth? And three, why being meek What does being meek have to do with being qualified to inherit the whole world? Meek is not a term that's used often. I don't use it around the dinner table. I don't say, hey, you know, honey, you were really meek today. I really appreciate your meek mood. Hey, son, thank you for being meek. Hey, can you be a little bit more meek at the table and pass the mashed potatoes as you're meek? Meek is not a term that people use often, and so it bears explanation, but Maybe even what's more provocative than understanding the word meek is, what does it mean to inherit the whole world? And why does that matter to us? Does inheriting the earth sound a little bit pie in the sky, a little bit out there, kind of like a Sunday school lesson? We're learning about something that we fully can't grasp and comprehend, but we need to memorize it because it's in the Bible. Is that what this is about? Or is there something actually compelling and practical about inheriting the earth? Something that gives us happiness today because Jesus preached this for Christians to be happy as they pursue the path of self-denial. 
Well, I think actually a lot of people are talking about inheriting the earth these days and they want the world. They want their earth. People want their country right now. And I'm not saying all in a good way, but if you look at the presidential debate, which I'm just, I'm keying in on some of these events because I think you're watching these events or at least watching the highlight reel if you can't stomach the whole hour. But, you know, I'm intrigued by it. I tape it and watch it and all of that. But what are, what are the main arguments of the debate? And the debates, they're pretty similar. I just kind of came up with ways to say these things off the top of my head. But here's one. And it's sort of the song, I can do anything you can do better. You know, I can do, I can deal better with COVID than you. I mean, that's one. Um, I can keep people alive longer than you can. And I'm not picking on any particular political party. I'm saying the, uh, they're saying it to each other. I can deal with COVID better than you. I can keep people alive longer than you can. I can offer a better healthcare plan to pay for it, to pay for your sickness better than you can. I can manage the world's energy resources better than you can. I can protect wealth better than you can. I can provide jobs better than you can. I can keep people from hating each other. How about that one? I can keep people hating each other in this world. These are all world topics, right? Sickness, health, energy resources, wealth, hatred. These are world issues. I can do it better than you can. I can make the earth safer from world enemies than you can. I can define marriage in this world better than you can. I can enforce law better than you can. I can define the sexes better than you can. Both sides of the political spectrum are making strong assertions these days that their path is right, is the right path, right? And round and round it goes. Now, make no mistake by my... um, sort of presentation that I don't have a strong political position or a strong conviction. By the way, we're two Tuesdays away from Super Tuesday. You want to vote, you need to vote. And I'm voting conservatively because I'm a conservative because most of conservative politics, I can find some kind of biblical basis for a direction in how I'm thinking and and where I think we should go. And I think it's important to vote. I think it's important to have a biblical position. I'm pro-life. I believe in saving the lives of the innocent, the unborn, the the slaughter that happens in abortion should be stopped. It should be illegal. It's wrong. But I also um, understand that I need to not only have a good, strong political conviction, but on a deeper level, I need to have a strong biblical position on who I am, why I'm here, and what I'm all about, come what may right? And the Bible calls, uh, calls us to, to, to think rightly and to think like Jesus w- would want us to think. What's absent from the debates is the very thing that promises inheritance of the earth, right? The one element that Jesus says that is essential if you're going to inherit the earth, if you're going to answer the world's problems, if you're going to inherit this world, is meekness. The Jews called for a political tyrant to come. They wanted their Messiah to overthrow Rome with force. They wanted material wealth. They wanted gain through a military enforcement. Let's have the government fix it. 
Come on, Jesus, do it. And Jesus says, you've got the wrong guy. I've come as a lamb, not a lion. I've come in meekness and in a, a strength of weakness. And that's the kind of person, that's the only kind of person that is promised to inherit the earth. It's promised the world, not by political power, not just for four years, but for all of eternity in the new heavens and the new earth, the millennial kingdom. These are ours as we are co-equal heirs with Christ. But I want to make the case that there's something for us even today as we understand the quality of meekness, we can understand the blessing of inheriting the earth even today. And what that means, and I think it's important for us to unpack this single attribute of meekness. What does it mean? The one thing that gets you what you want is nowhere present in the world's thinking. A naturally minded person can't even understand or comprehend how meekness gains you anything, right? People pool resources to prop themselves up with aggressive behavior and aggressive attitudes and assertiveness to try to gain things. Where Jesus is saying it's gained through an entirely different well and resource than the flesh. People have always craved world conquest. Historically, we know that. People want their world. They want the whole world. But according to Christ, the whole world is given to the meek. And again, I said it before, only to the meek. Only to the meek. The meek are the ones who are the sons and daughters of God who actually inherit the earth. And it matters. Self-assurance is the exact opposite of this. Propping self up is the absolute opposite of self-denial. People want things and when they don't get them, they press harder and press harder through the flesh to get it. And Jesus is saying, that's not my way. You say, well, this promise is not very practical. It's not for today. This is a promise that should be relegated to when I'm in hospice care and I can think about eternity and it's in front of me. It's sort of the, the hymn that we just sang, you know, the glory that's there for me, but it's in eternity. And that's when I'll think about inheriting the new heavens and the new earth, right? No, this is a blessing for now. Blessed is repeated nine times in a row. Because Jesus wants us to walk in joy, not in agnosticism, not in some kind of heaven is out there, but I can't grasp it for now and today. If you're worried about how the outcome in the presidential election is going to go or you spike up with the political debates in, a, in an ordinate way, if your passions are fired for, for what's going to happen on that level on an extreme scale, then you might be very I don't know, misguided. You might be um, misunderstanding what Jesus wants for you. Jesus wants us to be meek. He wants us to enjoy happiness through self-denial. It's what we called last week the blessed selflessness. So there's nine promises here if you're taking notes. Nine promises for happiness. And the first one we learned last week was poverty promises heaven. We saw that in verses one to three, the crowds gathered. They were a two-tier crowd. You have the intimate disciples that were around Jesus on flat top where he climbed. <laughs> anyway, he, it was actually a flat plateau. It was a mountain 
similar to flat top probably. He's up there. He's got his disciples. But you've got crowds that are massing around beneath them and they're listening in. So they were in some kind of hearing proximity of Jesus's sermon. But he was speaking directly to Christians here, believers, followers of Jesus. And then in verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. To be poor in spirit means you looked inside and you didn't like what you saw. You saw a heart that was filled with self-reliance and you make a conscious decision to say, I'm sad about that self-reliance and I am going to walk in a renunciation of that self-reliance. I'm going to say no to my flesh and I'm going to renounce it. And I'm not only seeing self-reliance, but verse four, stair step number two is the blessing that comes from mourning. It says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. It's where you look inside and you've assessed self-reliance and now you're seeing what's behind your self-reliance, which is the sin in your heart that's saying, prop yourself up, live for self, fill your heart with the world and sin. You don't like what you see in there. It's gross. It grosses you out. It makes you sad about your own heart. It makes you not want what you see inside. And you're being honest with yourself as you take a clear look inside in the mirror and you say, I repent of that sin. And it says, you shall be comforted. If you mourn, if you're repenting over what you see, then you should be comforted. The word paraclete is there speaking of the comfort of the Holy Spirit. God comes alongside you and reassures you that you're forgiven and that you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and that you are his child and that matters to you and you walk in that comfort. You're not unrealistic about your own flesh that you're fighting against. You're not unrealistic about your own sin that you see in your heart. You're calling it out. You're seeing that it's there. You're turning away from it. You're rejecting and you're receiving comfort. Now it brings you to step three in the the blessed nine steps towards happiness here. Number three is blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. This is the beatitude attitude of meekness. Now, you've heard cliches about meekness, that meekness is not weakness. It's true. Meekness is strength under control. That's true. But meekness needs to be taken in terms of a deeper look than those little phrases. It's not weakness. And it is strength under control, but it's so much more. Meekness is the character of Christ. It's the character of Christ. It's the mind of Christ. Meekness means that you are walking in the Holy Spirit, that your mind is filled with the words and works of Jesus Christ and you want to walk therein. Who doesn't want to walk like Jesus walked and engage people like Jesus engaged people, love like Jesus loved, not put out a smoldering wick, not you know, break off a bruised reed, but to be a restorer, to be a lover, to be a giver, to be wise in your speech, to be strong in your equilibrium, not spiking too high or falling too low, but in this, this control of the Holy Spirit and moving along by the will of God in your life. That's the picture of meekness. And if you're honest with yourself... You probably need to think through this idea. What is meekness? Well, let me start with what it's not. Meekness promises the earth. What is it? Well, it's not being a pushover. Meekness is not being a wet noodle. It's not being someone who has a personality that's affable. That's not meekness. 
It's a lot of people who are affable, who get along with a lot of people. That doesn't qualify you in this regard for this promise. It's not weakness. It's not just that you're easygoing. It's not a personality trait. It's not just being nice. Lloyd-Jones compared this idea of superficial meekness to like a good-natured dog versus a bad-natured dog. Or a good-natured cat, if there ever was one, versus a bad-natured cat. They're all bad. But, amen, I hear that, sister. (laughs) Meekness is not personality. It's not basic character. Meekness is not biological. Meekness is not something where you're just a peacemaker, where you're smoothing things over with people, peace at all costs. That's not meekness. Meekness is not a compromiser. Meekness is that incredible balance between you you are angry at sin that you see in the world but you're not out of control in your anger meekness is walking in attention of love and 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 proactivity but not passivity it's this delicate balance of life and we see it in Moses perhaps he was called the meekest man on the face of the earth in his Time on earth, Numbers 12 said this. says this. In Numbers 12, verse 1, it says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. Moses married Zipporah, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord, this is Miriam and Aaron. This is like, you know, siblings. These are, these are family to Moses. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And in that context, Miriam contracted leprosy for complaining against the Lord's servant, complaining against Moses who is meek. And Moses at this point was stayed in his demeanor. He was strong. He didn't react. The Lord worked on his behalf. But as one person put it, Moses killed an Egyptian who was beating up Hebrew slaves, faced Pharaoh to demand release of his people, and was so angry at the orgy that Aaron and his people were having around the golden calf that he smashed the first set of the tablets. So Moses had some indignation. He had some some stuff to him. He wasn't just passive. He wasn't just laying back. And yet he was the meekest man on the earth. Not perfectly so, like Christ. Christ is the perfect picture of meekness. Christ who said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Verse 28, Matthew eleven twenty eight, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus as a meek man cared about people. He didn't want people to be burdened by Phariseeism. And yet Jesus called out the Pharisees. You're putting a heavy yoke on that person's back. You're you're crushing that person's spirit. You're sending that person to hell with demonic teaching about law keeping. And you're twisting truth, hurting people. Jesus called it out. Called them dead um, tombs with dead men's bones inside. I mean, he called them out, laced it out. He, um, John chapter 2 speaks of when he went to the temple and he created the whip of cords and he drove everyone out of the temple, drove the oxen out, drove the sheep out, drove all the animals out, drove the people out. They were scandalizing the temple. They were, they were using it like a casino. 
just threw them all out, said, zeal for my father's house consumes me. That's Jesus. But Jesus, his meekness did not, was not canceled out by righteous indignation. Those things were held in perfect balance. There are certain things that we rightfully should be angry at in the world, but always under the power and control of the Holy Spirit. This is meekness. Abraham was meek. He yielded to his um, nephew Lot and gave him the first choice of the land. David yielded to Saul, even Saul who was attacking him. Um, David didn't take Saul's life in the cave. Jeremiah preached in isolation when Israel was in captivity. The other prophets were preaching freely and Jeremiah was isolated in meekness. Stephen died in the New Testament as the first martyr in meekness. Paul, who, whose intellect outstripped everyone, he was the Pharisee. The Pharisee was sublimated into a prison cell where he's writing the New Testament from prison and preaching and ministering from isolation. That's meekness. It's meekness, it's not weakness. Jesus is the picture that we should follow. We should be angry and not sin. Ephesians 4, 26. We give no opportunity for the devil, but if you get sort of unhinged, it does give opportunity to the devil. Aristotle, who in common grace defined meekness as something between two extremes, just like how you're, if you are spending to excess versus being a miser, you, you want to hit the sweet spot of generosity. You don't want to be either extreme in the same way. Don't live in selfish anger. Live in selfless anger um, at moral dynamics in the world. Don't be given over to extreme anger or excessive angerlessness. Don't be, don't be angry in the flesh and don't be passive in the flesh. Live in the sweet spot that's meekness. It's not outward. It's really inward. It's not behavior modification. It's what the Lord does in your life. It's not just making a commitment not to yell. It's um, a state of mind that says, I don't desire to sin in that way anymore. Do you see the difference? You've got to hate your sin. You've got to be indignant at what you don't like about yourself. You've got to be poor in spirit over what you see inside. You've got to repent of those things. You've got to receive grace because you say, I see it. I get it. It's wrong. I repent of it. I'm receiving the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God in that. And as I receive that, I'm, I'm blessed. And guess what? People see meekness in you. Meekness is a fruit. Meekness is not something that you say, oh, now I'm meek. I get the badge and the award and I'm meek. No, meekness is something that you're not even really aware of. You're aware of your sin that you're repenting of. You're, you're aware of your own self-reliance that you're putting off. But meekness is something that people see and assess about you from the outside. Lloyd-Jones said, it's one thing to see sin inside yourself. It's quite another to have someone else point it out to you. Meekness is something that is in respect to other people. It's a fruit. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, verses 22 to 25, talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Here it is. The gentleness, that word praos, is meekness. Meekness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. If you are under the control of the Holy Spirit, you've yielded yourself to God, 
then meekness will come out. Love will come out, joy. Self-control, which is kind of paralleled with meekness, that will just come out and people will observe it. It proves that you belong to Christ. Verse 24 of Galatians 5, it says, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with, with its passions. How do you set the conditions for meekness in your life? Well, very similarly to how you grow things in your yard, which I'm terrible at, right? I have no idea how to grow things. You can all look at Judy over here. She knows how to grow stuff. I don't. I have no idea. I kill things. Um, I tried to water recently. I have no idea what I'm doing. But conceptually, here's how you grow stuff. You set the conditions for growth, right? You don't water too much. You don't water too little. You, you don't give a plant too much sun. You don't give it too, much, too little. You, you set the conditions. And so in the same way, you have to starve your passions, starve your flesh. You have to starve yourself from the world and set yourself in front of the word of God and yield yourself in prayer to the Lord. And then suddenly fruit begins to grow. That's how it happens. And that's what, Scripture teaches. It proves that we're His. We're filled in the Holy Spirit. It's only, meekness is only possible by the Spirit. It's not a tall order that you just drum up and say, I'm going to be meek now. It doesn't work that way. It's what God does. It's not being proud. It's not seeking self-glory. It's not bragging about yourself. It's it's flying in the face of mainline psychology. Mainline psychology says, pump yourself up. Think about your own personal value. You're motivated by your own self-esteem and your self-worth. Achieve. But instead, Christ says, don't be demanding. Don't look for your own glory. Don't look to your own self for strength. Don't believe that you have, and our culture is big on this right now. It's promoting privilege. Don't believe that you have privilege. Nothing in the Bible talks about anyone having privilege for any reason. We are sinners saved by grace. You know what privilege we have? We have grace. We have grace. The gospel tells us that we are privileged because of what we do not deserve, not because we believe we deserve something. It's what we don't deserve. This is our, we don't have personal rights. We don't have deserved possessions. We have the mindset of the Lord. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. He didn't consider his, his equality with God his, his position in heaven, something to be grasped or held onto, but he took the form of a servant through self-emptying, which means he added humanity to his deity. He never minused any of his deity out. He just, he sublimated his deity. He sub- submitted his deity to the Father, which means that all the independent ex- exercise of his attributes were put on the back burner, yielded to the Father's will. So he lived within his humanity by the control of the Holy Spirit. And then at points you see his deity coming out. It's the mystery of the hypostatic union between of, of Jesus being fully God and fully man. But all of that... Um, Union is based on Christ's humility and willingness to take on the form of a servant. As the King James Version puts it, Jesus made himself of no reputation. This is the path of joy. Don't miss the point of this message. Blessed are the meek for you receive the promise of the earth. You inherit the earth 
And I'm going to make that practical in a few minutes. But blessing comes from this path of self-denial, this stair-stepping. Lord Jones said, we spend our whole lives watching ourselves, but when a man becomes meek, he has finished with all that. He no longer worries about himself and what other people say. The truly meek person means we no longer protect ourselves because we see there is nothing worth defending. We're so defensive and all that is gone. The man who is truly meek never pities himself. He's never sorry for himself. He never talks to himself and says, you have been having a hard time. How unkind these people are to you who do not understand you. He never thinks how wonderful I really am. If I only, if only the other people gave me a chance. He goes, self-pity. What hours and years of waste this is. To be meek means you've finished yourself with all that. All your rights and desserts are gone. I'm painfully aware of my own selfishness. Um, this is difficult for me to preach through because I am very uh, sort of self-focused and self-oriented. I know I stand alone in that sin, but I am speaking uh, openly. And I thought of an analogy of this dynamic where you talk to people and you care about people, but you're self-focused while you're doing it. It reminds me of... Uh, FaceTiming, you know, this is my clock um, for my pulpit, but it's also, you know, how I talk to people sometimes by FaceTime. And um, if you've ever FaceTime, you know, there's the big image and the small image, right? The big image is the person you're supposed to be focused on. You have the small image that's reflecting back on you. And if you're focused on the person, you kind of forget about the small image. But if you kind of are bored with the person, you really begin to wander up and think about how you're coming across. How's my smile? How do I look? You know, how am I coming across? And when people begin to like fix themselves while you're talking to them on the other side, it's hilarious, right? It's mirror, mirror on the wall. Well, that's what our own hearts do. Our own hearts have the big image and the small image always, and we have to fight against that. D.A. Carson said, individually, each man tends to assume without thinking that he is at the center of the universe. Therefore, he relates poorly to the four billion others who are laboring under a similar delusion. When you're meek, you, you realize no harm can really come to you. Meekness makes you strong in that regard. You're already down, so nobody can put you farther down. There's nothing anyone can say that's too bad about you. John Bunyan, the Puritan, said, He that is down need fear no fall. You need not worry about what men say, what you deserve. Lloyd-Jones said, you're amazed that God and man can think of you as they do and treat you as they do. You're amazed. It's why when you have enemies, you can love them because you're pitying them with the same pity that you gave yourself. As Christians, we shouldn't look at people and go, oh, I just feel sorry for you that you're not as good as I am. Never. No. You say, I feel sorry for that person. I have pity on that person because I recognize the sin that they are sinning against me with because I see it in my own heart. I know it all too well, right? Somebody throws a spear at you, you go, oh, I, I recognize that spear. I've thrown that spear before. That's meekness. It's awareness of your own sin. First Peter, Peter says to be mindful of God when you're enduring persecution and suffering. We, we're to remember Christ and the way he suffered. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, 
He did not revile and return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. That's all horizontal stuff. Jesus didn't retaliate. He didn't respond when people came against him. What did he do? He went vertical instead of horizontal. People are mean to him. And while he's dying on the cross, it says he continued. It says, but he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The way Jesus makes it through the cross and makes it through the passion and makes it through the persecution, when people are hitting him this way, he's trusting this way. Do you see that? That I'll never forget reading that in college and that hitting me that that's how Jesus made it through. Kept entrusting himself like this while people were hurting him like that. Well, what does it mean to inherit the earth? We've kind of unpacked meekness a lot. What does it mean to inherit the earth? Well, two ways. One is the, the physical, literal inheritance that we will all receive in the millennial kingdom. Okay, that's true. Um, God will change this world ultimately. Revelation chapter, chapters 21 and 22, you have the new heavens and the new earth. And, you know, that, that transformation will happen. That will be a physical new heavens and new earth, by the way, not just something out there. We'll enjoy food. We'll enjoy relationships. We'll know each other personally. We'll sing together. There, heaven is physical. No doubt about that. But... And, and, and this is taken, by the way, this phrase Matthew is using comes right out of Psalm 37, 9 through 13, speaking of Israel. And it says, for evildoers will be cut off. This is the Psalm of David. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. And you look carefully at this place, he will not be there. But, verse 11, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. This is a direct promise to Israel that ethnic Israel believers will, will enjoy and the church will enjoy the new heavens and the new earth. So we all enjoy this physical blessing. But I want to leave you with one thought that struck me in my study, and that is that this blessing is not just for the future, but it's for now. We're to enjoy the world we live in now by being meek. How do you live in this world now that's stirred up in the way that it is, where, you know, Tuesday after next, there'll be a vote. There's stuff on the line. What will our life be like, you know, if things go one way rather than another way? How do we enjoy the world that we live in? How do we inherit the world as Christians <clears throat> through meekness? Well, simply this. Meekness means that you are content Meekness could almost be a synonym for contentment in this world. When you are meek, you are reliant upon the Lord in a way that you realize that he gives you everything you need to be happy in this world. Right now, you inherit the world. Now, the world is filled with sin. The world has fallen. The world has challenges. There's always pain and suffering in the world. We're looking for the future. But you can live now in contentment and joy in a way that realizes our future promise now, at least in our heart. Heaven is kept for us, imperishable, undefiled, unfaded, First Peter 1.4. But heaven is also experienced in our hearts today. 2 Corinthians 6.10, this is what Paul said. He was suffering. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked, right? It says, as sorrowful, yet 
always rejoicing, listen to this, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. That's what it says. You can have a mindset where you possess it all. Again, there's a false teaching that's out there. It's dominionism and it's a hyper charismatic teaching that that gives a, it's a man-centered version of walking this world like you own it all as if you are a little God walking around. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is facing the reality that there is sin in the world, there is suffering in the world, there are enemies in the world, there is hardship in the world, but this is at the same time our Father's world. He is in charge of it all. He gives us the blessing of it, the beauty of it. I was driving down Seward Highway yesterday and looking at the mountains and looking at the different hues and colors that were reflecting off the mountaintops. And I was thinking, I have a choice right now to actually enjoy the world that I live in because God made this world. He owns this world and I am his son. And so I am a co-inheritor with Christ of this world in the future. 1 Corinthians 6 and Romans 8 speak of 1 Corinthians 6, we will judge the world will be part of that in future judgment, in ownership. Romans 8, we're co-heirs with Christ of this world. But that inheritance is now as well. It's, it's, we know the will that's written on our behalf. We know what we're going to inherit. And we're, we're living in that world today. And so we can live satisfied with that and with the knowledge that, that we're content because we're meek. Because we're not trying to fight against this world. We're not trying to swim upstream. We're not trying to gain things for ourselves through our flesh. We're, we're submissive, submissive to God and we're recipients of God's joyful blessing of contentment today. This is what Paul talked about in Philippians 4. We don't have time to unpack that. But where Epaphroditus had brought a gift, the Thessalonians had given him a gift while he's in prison. And he was saying, you know, much or little, I, I can, I'm content in all things. It, that literally means I'm self-satisfied. I'm content with what the Lord has given me. He's this power intellect. He's writing from prison. He's, he's saying, I own it all. I, I, I have access to everything I'd ever want in this world. As an inheritor of God's blessing, I'm here in this moment. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's amazing. He says, verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He was selfless and meek in that. And he received full payment and more. He said, I was well satisfied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's saying, look, get in on this. God supplies. God provides. He's given us everything. There's this realism with the world we live in and the sin that we have to face in our own lives and the world around us. And that held in parallel with the meekness of Christ where by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can see that he's providing for us and he gives us contentment with everything we, we have. 1 Corinthians 3, it's the same sentiment. We're God's temple. We have wisdom in, in the Lord. He just gives us everything. He says in verse 21, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Everything. Being meek is uncommon. It's uniquely Christian. It's only the spiritually minded people are meek. Only the spiritually minded people 
are those who are Christians. Right now, character is being sort of placarded in the political debate spectrum. People are waiting for the next emails to drop, you know, the next dynamic to happen in terms of character assessment. On both sides, people are picking through all kinds of stuff, I'm sure. They're like portals into someone's life and soul, what's been written down. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. You know, the heart is in print and it's date stamped. Scary stuff. But that character assessment pales in comparison to the character assessment that Christ has on you right now today. How would we fare under that kind of scrutiny? What about the Lord's scrutiny? Again, how do we get happy with that kind of scrutiny? Well, we get poor in spirit, (laughs) right? We renounce self-reliance, step one. Step two, we mourn. We see our sin, we acknowledge it, we repent, we enjoy the grace of the Holy Spirit. Number three, we yield ourselves in submission to the Lord in meekness and we realize in contentment all that the Lord is providing for us. And that gives us blessing. That gives us happy spirits because really the, the character standard for us is Christ and we can only be measured by Christ with grace and God gives us that.